on here. Um, Heavenly Father, I uh, pray that you be with us this morning and help us to focus on you. Lord God, you know um, where my head goes and where my heart goes, and I, I try to figure out how to share your word and how to present your your gospel, Lord. And I, I pray that you would help me to help me to be faithful, help me to not stand in the way, help me to not do things that would drag attention away from your from your message, from your heart for these folks. Um, and I pray, Lord God, that that things that would normally block the vision or block the heart um, for the folks sitting in this room, Lord, that you would take those things away, that that your word would find um, fertile soil and and grow into a great harvest in this place, in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. It is uh, not a very easy thing to come up with a clever illustration every week. Um, I don't know if you all are aware of that. And uh, so, as I kind of move forward, I would like a little grace. Um, I have been married for 18 years. Uh, 18 years next week, right? Um, And my wife would say they were the 11 happiest years of her life. (laughs) Um, I... uh, and so I'm, I, I've got an idea for an illustration this morning, and I, I'm going to need a little indulgence. Um, when I got engaged, um, I did it the worst way I possibly could. I woke up one morning and I said, I'm going to get engaged today, right? And I, I took Jess out on a date that night, and after dinner in, in the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant, I asked her to marry me. And she, midway through the conversation, said, stop, you're not asking me to marry you in the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and you know what? Like, I, I've demonstrated an amazing pattern in our marriage for listening to my wife's voice and then doing what I want. It's true, right? And um, as we kind of dive into Judges here, um, we worship a God who has provided opportunity for us, right? And, and I'm going to... Um, I'm going to illustrate something here. Honey, can I get you to come on up here? A few weeks ago, my wife uh, lost her wedding ring, which is funny because I have lost my wedding ring more times than I can tell you. I hang it on nails and forget about it. I take it off to go to the gym and spend three days looking for it. She stole it from me once, right, to have it engraved. And um, and I I... I didn't even realize that she had taken it. <laughs> I just thought I lost it and I didn't say anything because I was like, oh, I hope I find it before she figures out I haven't worn it in weeks. So she has lost this thing. And I was, I was um, fasting and praying the one day and I was trying to pray about some other stuff and this thing kept coming up. And, and I, anniversary gift and I've been praying for weeks about how to properly give it to her. And I figured I'm going to take my mulligan. And you all get to be a part of it. I, we were at a baseball game. I almost did this at the baseball game. Um, but we don't like baseball that much. It's not the original. But would you spend the next rest of your life with me, honey? Yes. you have my wedding ring, too? No, I really didn't find it. I will put it on you. <laughs> You realize they did this well so far. I'm just about to mess it up. Are you crying? 
You know, we do need the metal detector. We still have to find her wedding ring. It's definitely still lost. She thought I stole it. You have other rings. And by the way, my daughter's been lecturing me about the right way to propose to your wife for weeks, and so I had to do this in front of her. Um, I love you, dear. Um, I, I start with this for a reason. Um, our, our judge this week is a fellow named Othniel. Has anybody heard of Othniel, by the way? Other than the sermon like three weeks ago. Like, has anybody ever sat through a Sunday school lesson about Othniel? Watched a bi- Well, because you taught one. Um, Watch one of those, like, adventure movies about I mean, like, he's one of these guys that, like, he gets brushed over in the scriptures. And it's an ironic thing because I'm going to name another judge, and I'm betting everybody in the room knows who he is. uh, Samson. We know who Samson is, right? And Samson, we make movies about him. There are action figures. You can get Samson action figures, right? Um, There are all of these things associated with Samson, but Samson's at the end of the book and Othniel's at the beginning. And as we learn in the week's past, is a little bit of background. The pattern for the book of Judges is it starts off well, and then each successive judge gets crummier and crummier and crummier. And when we finally get to Samson, Samson is the story of what not to do, right? It's all a decline, and Samson is just like the worst, Right? Everybody knows that person. Like, they are the worst. I can't believe that they did that. I can't believe my wife is thinking that about me right now. He is the worst. I can't believe he... Um, but there's a decline. And we'll look at that over the coming weeks. Um, but at this point, I want to kind of just make this, this beginning. Othniel is awesome. Othniel is, is the man, right? Othniel does it right the first time. Right? He does it right. He's got two mentions in this book. In the previous mention, we see him getting married. Um, we see him going out and fighting a battle that was considered to be a pretty like major like, like military engagement. And as a prize for winning his battle, he gets his, his wife, right? Like his, Caleb, his father-in-law, gives him his wife. And, and he marries this like woman who's sort of, you know, the, this, this prize to be won, and he wins this great battle, and he, he is kind of an action hero, right? Um, and he ends up a wealthy action hero in the end of the previous story. Now we come into this section, we come back to Othniel. And Othniel, we have this, this downward decline thing, but Othniel's the, the man, right? He's the guy who does it right the first time. He's the guy who would have proposed right the first time, right? <laughs> he literally, he came out of a battle like, you know, smoke and you know, everything else, a hero, and he, and he you know, proposes to his, his beauty to be one, and he ends up, you know, in this great... I mean, he is the man. He is the anti-Eric. Got it? And I'm willing to bet that there's a couple of other guys in the room that say, yeah, I'm in that boat. Um, and so as we look at Othniel, um, Othniel is an ideal. And he's an ideal that, like, like, offers us a model to follow. And this isn't something that's unusual in the scriptures. There is a, um, a, a, a repeated behavior. You see in Kings, the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, where the kings are all compared to David. Hey, this guy was king, but he wasn't as awesome as David, right? Um, 
And then you get into the New Testament, and Paul says, hey, if you want to know what to do, look at how I behave because I'm imitating Jesus. And he does it over and over again. And so, like, Othniel is this pattern to follow. And actually, the book does this repeating pattern. Each narrative has the same elements. They repeat, and different parts of the narrative are emphasized, right? But, like, like they all have the same basic elements, except for Othniel, which is, like, bare bones. There's no depth. His story is short, sweet, and to the point. Got it? Because he is the man, I guess, so we short sermons. Um, before we get to that, there's one last bit of introduction. This is technically part of the previous introduction. I included it here for a reason. Um, Judges 3, if you have a Bible in front of you, you can follow along. Otherwise, it's on the screen. Uh, now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars of Canaan, It was only in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonites, or Sidonites, Sidonians, Sidonians, there it is, um, and Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon, um, as far as Labo Hamath. All right, so we have this like accounting. The previous section ends with God left these nations there to test them. They were there really because like the Jewish people failed to drive them out. They sort of gave up and said, well, that's good enough. We'll leave the pagans around us. We'll deal with them and that'll be fine. And it sort of wrecks them as a nation. Um, and from this point forward, they're living amongst these folks. Um, the author says, hey, this is the testing that's going to happen. The testing wasn't really necessary because God knew what they were going to do. He's God, right? Yeah. When we see testing, it's usually to prove a point. And the point that gets proven here is that people on their own, if they are not obedient and submissive to God, they get stuck. We need God's help in order to do the right thing, right? Even Paul. Paul was like sort of the rock star of the Bible, Right? You read Romans 7 and 8, right? And Romans 7 is all about Paul saying, I know the right thing to do, but I do the wrong thing every time, right? Love following God, hate doing evil, do what I hate every time, don't do what I love every time, without fail. And and it's sort of this this pattern. And so what we're going to see here in the coming bit here, he's explaining this testing. And actually, the first three verses are a clause, and then you have the point, and then you have the next subordinate clause. Okay, so there's going to be one verse here. Four, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would, one, obey the commandments of the Lord, and two, uh, excuse me, which he commanded to their fathers by the hand of Moses. Um, Sorry, that was one and two. I got lost there. They were there for the testing so God would know if they would obey the commands of the Lord. So, like, are they going to follow God in the midst of difficulty? Are they going to do what they're called to do surrounded by the nations. And actually the whole book is about the canonization, like where the people live amongst the the peop, you know, the people of the land that they were supposed to kick out and they just progressively compromise, right? Um, does anybody understand this compromise thing by the way? I know what the right thing to do is, but here's the easy thing. And you do the easy thing a little bit and then the next time around you do the easy thing a little more cuz hey, the easy thing worked. And before you know it, you're doing the easy thing every time and you're like falling on your face, right? Um, ideally, for, for, um, for us, that would be something that we move away from as we follow Jesus. Um, but it is a part of being human. It's a part of being fallen. Um, so the next three verses here, this is the second half. It is, so the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, 
um, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took for themselves to excuse me took to themselves for wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they served their gods so they intermarried and they like began to follow the other religion right like the pagan religions they began to abandon god why is intermarrying a problem because um, they were supposed to remain distinct and unique they're supposed to remain set apart not that their culture was special but their service of god was special they were supposed to associate with other followers of Yahweh, and they didn't. They instead married off, and they, they sort of chased after everything else. Um, and, and, you know, at the time, marriage wasn't as much about love as about power. So you would marry this guy, you know, hey, let's have your daughter marry my son, and we'll combine our lands, and we'll have power, right? Seems like a good idea. Hey, how about if my daughter marries your son, and we'll unify and we'll have power together, and we'll become more like politically advantageous to us. And so these guys are chasing after other guys, they're betraying God. And um, it seems good at first, and that is the way with sin, isn't it? I'm willing to bet um, a little bit of sin seems like a good idea at the time, doesn't it? And men, like a lot of times the standard for men, like the, the stereotypical like trap men fall into in this culture is that, that one or two little glances at those websites... You know what I'm talking about? And then it was like, oh, just a little bit more, or maybe a little bit more, or a little bit more, and eventually you're trapped. Um, because this little bit of sin seems like a good idea at first, but eventually you end up somewhere you didn't intend to be. Um, you also see it with men like, I'm frustrated with my family. I'm going to work more. Um, or I'm going to develop a new hobby, which is kind of my pattern, right? I find new hobbies, and it keeps me busy, and I don't have to worry about all the stuff in life that's awful. Um, or historically has been, life is awesome now. Um, (laughs) But what these guys did was they picked something out that looked good, and they began to get stuck. Um, We see, well, let's keep moving, we'll come back around to it. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. So they start out, they're intermarrying, they're doing stuff they're not supposed to do, and they become more and more pagan, and eventually they're worshiping Baal and Asherah, which is like the fertility god and the storm god. So it's like, God, let's, let's have good crops. Right? We'll worship the storm god so we can have good crops. And Asherah was the goddess of fertility, so we'll have fun times together and... Lots of children. You know, I, I'm not explaining that any further because I get in trouble enough. Um, <clears throat> and so they worship these things that are not God, um, and they do evil, and everything is great until, therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kushariathian. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it right, king of Mesopotamia. Now, Mesopotamia there, the word means the land between two rivers, and the assumption is that it means Mesopotamia. But this guy is not really in the Middle East, like in the land. He's away from the land. And so he is a king who is powerful enough that he's occupied the middle of the map. Everybody with me? Um, Of the kings that the Jewish people fight against that they're oppressed by, this guy is the toughest. He is, he's kind of an emperor, right? He's, he's sort of an early version of what Nebuchadnezzar would be. Nebuchadnezzar is like sort of a world emperor. And this guy is a world emperor, a very early one. Um, very little is known about him, but because of the locations here, this guy 
He's tough. And he's so tough that he's able to conquer this land and subjugate God's people for eight years. Now, there's an interesting thing here. Sometimes we assume when things go wrong that God is like um, abandoning us. In this instance, God isn't abandoning these guys. He's intentionally like, well, look, if you're going to serve other gods, have fun. You know, see, if, see if somebody else is going to fight for you. See how Baal fights for you. Let's see if that works. And so, like, this foreign invading king comes in, and he beats the tar out of him, and he subjugates the people. By the way, the formula for, for these stories from here on out, there's a negative evaluation. The people served other gods. The divine commitment where God comes in and says, you know what, I'm pretty mad, so you're going to deal with a problem. And this is going to be over and over again in this book, by the way. Just pointing it out as a matter of, like, if you want to understand judges better, this is a part of it. Um, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Now, um, the people cry out. When they cry out, this is not them repenting, right? Some of you all maybe have cried out because life is horrible, but you're not sorry for the things that you did to get you there. I, I talked to, uh, years ago, I remember sitting with a guy who was a, he was a drug dealer and a drug addict, and he'd been robbing people and everything else. He ended up in jail, and he had a real, like, serious drug problem. And talking to him, I said, well, how'd you end up here? And he's like, well, I was sitting in jail, and he was in a rehab program that I was working at. And I, I asked him, well, how'd you end up here? I was sitting in jail, and I was asking God to get me out of here. Just get me out of jail. And he sent me to rehab, so I realized I didn't ask a specific enough question. <laughs> My request, I should have said, let me free, not put me in rehab, right? Um, but his crying out to God wasn't penitent. He wasn't sorry, right? He was sorry he was in jail. The people of Israel in this moment, they're crying out to God, but they're not crying out to God because they're particularly sorry. They're crying out to God because they're being oppressed. They don't like it. They're not like, oh, God, come save us. We're sorry we screwed up. It's, oh, God, where are you? This is awful. Right, But, like, God still hears them and God still answers. Mind you, God's desire, his, his heart in the situation, was for them to repent and turn back to him. His desire was, like, he loves these people. And over and over again, the scriptures, like, like we see the descriptions. We talked about this a little bit last week. God is this passionate God. He's this serious, like, intense, passionate, loving, fighting God. And he wants his people to love him passionately. And so when they cheat on him, which is what they do when they pursue other gods, it's what we do when we pursue, you know, our own bitterness or when we pursue our own, like, like lust or we pursue our own, you know, wants or whatever. And we say, well, God, you have fun. I'm going to worship this stuff. That's us cheating on God. Like, that's really the Old Testament. Hosea has a great book, talks about that. The idea that it's not a great book. It's a really difficult book. Uh, but it talks about this idea that God's people, when they pursue things that aren't him, they're cheating on them. They're committing spiritual adultery. And that's what these folks are doing. And God goes to deliver them because he wants them back. Um, but they're not crying out to him because they're sorry and they want him back. They're crying out to him because they're miserable. Um, so the Lord raised up a deliverer. By the way, deliverer, um, some translations will render this as savior, right? And who shows up? Othniel. We get the action hero. And Othniel is an interesting one. And if you want to like learn a little more about him, a few weeks ago, we talked about him in a sermon. And we, we talked about how Othniel has all of these cool parallels to the life of Jesus. Because Othniel is what's called a type. He's this character that points forward to Jesus. 
And he's, he's this man who shows up. He's God's chosen man to save his people, this savior, this deliverer, which is what Jesus is for us. We don't live under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus took our punishment upon himself, and because of that, we can be saved. Like if we follow Jesus, every rotten thing we've ever done is taken away, and we can have a relationship with God. I, I started this morning with reproposing to my wife. We've been married for a long time, and there were more, a few, more than a few of those years that I was a pretty terrible husband, right? She didn't nod, so I'll assume that. <laughs> um, but my wife has forgiven me because she loves me, right? And because I was repentant and because I came back to her. And, and, and I, I repentant means to turn around and change your ways. And here we see, like in Jesus, we see where God calls us to turn around and change our ways, right? And we're reconciled to him through Jesus. Othniel, the idea is he's going to deliver his people and God's people are going to turn back to him. Um, the problem, of course, is that they don't. Um, verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. I pronounced it differently each time and each time wrong. Um, now, mind you, there's some bits of history here that I didn't mention in the previous sermon. Um, Othniel was a foreigner. Othniel was not Jewish. He was Jewish by marriage. So he married into God's family. And so it's not like God picked one of his people. He picked a foreigner to do the job. And like, actually, we're not even told, which, by the way, for a foreigner thing, that's a big deal in the Old Testament. This is something the Jewish people would have noticed and taken very seriously. Um, Beyond that, We're not told Othniel was picked because he was a great warrior. We're not told he was picked because he was particularly holy, because he was clever, because he was handsome, um, because he was all of these things. Like, he, he is not picked because of that. He's picked because he is picked because God picked him. Because it was a man who would willingly allow God to do his thing. We aren't told that Othniel did a great job as a warrior. We're told that the Spirit of God was upon him, right? By the way, that spirit of God upon him thing, this is major because this is the ideal, right? God's spirit comes upon a man, works through him, and he accomplishes great things. From this point forward, that phrase is going to change. And it's going to get to be a crummier and crummier version of it. Because what happens is God basically comes into Othniel and let's go out and fight this. And he fights this great battle. He defeats a foe he should have no business beating. Right, because he's a tribal leader. He, you know, and he's fighting a world emperor, and he wins. He has no business winning, but God enables him to do it, um, because God, he cooperates. God moves into him, and God does the work. And Othniel is a vessel that allows it to happen, right? Um, and he delivers his people and and becomes their leader. So the land had a rest of forty years. Then Othniel, son of Canaz, died. So Othniel chases these guys off, and the land has a rest. It doesn't say that the people returned to God, by the way. Did you notice that? It doesn't say, oh, the people understood they screwed up, and they returned to God. It says that the land had a rest, meaning like there wasn't any more fighting there, and there wasn't any more battle. There was spiritual peace in the land. The people didn't repent. The people didn't turn back. The people didn't cry out and say, we're really sorry for how we screwed up. None of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> It's just that there's a rest. 
Now, in this skeletal formula, by the way, that's the last part, the tranquility formula. So we have the divine provision. God sent this man. He fights it out. He rescues his people. The tranquility formula is there was peace in the land, and then the judge dies, and things go back to the way they were. Um, so as we, as we go forward in the coming weeks, that'll be the formula. You'll hear all about this. It'll become something you have memorized. Um, it'll actually be more interesting as we go because the stories get bigger, right? But what do we do with this? The story of Othniel. Um, we live in a different era, right? How many of y'all have watched the news this week? How many of y'all have watched the news and ground your teeth more than a little bit and thought, oh my gosh, how broken is the world we live in? You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read, Jesus, please come back, right? You know, God, why don't you just set the world right? Um, we live in a world that is broken, um, and it is broken for a lot of reasons, um, but the fundamental like issue in all of the brokenness in our creation, like in the creation, the world God has given us is sin. Like we rebel against God, the world's infected by sin, it is broken, and because of that, people do awful things, right? And the world like operates in a way it was never meant to, like the weather, everything, it's all broken. This is not the way it was meant to be. Um, God sent his deliverer in Jesus. Back then, they saw a deliverer. There was a man who delivered the land, and they had 40 years of peace, and it didn't help, right? Oftentimes, we think, God, if you could just make my life comfortable again and give us a little peace and make things seem to operate okay, it would be all right. But at the end of the day, what these folks needed wasn't this action hero deliverer. They needed new hearts, right? They needed God to come along and, like, perform this operation on their souls where they're reset and made new, right? Like, not a heart that is of stone, as Ezekiel tells us, but a heart of, of, of flesh, a heart that's passionate for God. Um, the deliverer we have today is still Jesus. Jesus isn't going to wander into Dallas. Jesus isn't going to show up, like, in person in, you know, Minnesota. He's not going to do these things, like, because he sent us, Right? He sent us. He sent you. Um, and the you that he sent wasn't so that you could vote the right way. I know that it's an uncomfortable truth, but the reality is the world around us will be fixed um, when we step up and we do our job. Our job is to be like Jesus in the world around us. Our job is to be intimately and passionately in love with God and pursue him and to become new people. How do I do that? Well, um, you start off by talking to God, like praying, pursuing God. Because Othniel wasn't this, like, awesome guy. You know, he wasn't an action hero. He wasn't a cowboy. He wasn't handsome. He wasn't none of this stuff. Like, in the end, what Othniel was was a man who was willing to let God do his thing. And he was willing to be in that place and allow God to do it through him. Right? Um, that's what God calls us to be. Um, I don't know that God is going to send us a judge to deliver this nation. It would, you know, there are a lot of people who are saying, oh, this is what we need is somebody to deliver this nation. Mm-mm. God sent his son to deliver us. And our job is to share the gospel and to love folks. Well, how do I do that? Do I need to, you know, well, we, we begin by making our lives right. Right? Because the reality is that as long as I'm in rebellion, God will not operate through my life. Isn't that the truth? 
If I'm pursuing the flesh, if I'm saying this is, you know, I want what I want and I want it now and God can take second banana spot. Like God's not going to operate in that. That's not what Othniel did. We see later judges do this, but they are like get crummier and crummier. In reality, God wants people who follow Jesus and make their lives right and repent from sin and overcome. Um, but beyond that, he gave us some pretty specific directions. Um, supposed to love our neighbors, right? Supposed to, um, we're supposed to, all right. One of the things we see in the scriptures, we see that God is the defender of, do you know who God defends, the three people God defends? Widows, orphans, and foreigners, right? Um, foreigners are kind of rejects, is actually, if you were going to translate into the now thing, these are the guys that nobody wants to help, who have no rights. Um, God calls us to look after, and this is in James, by the way. James is a great book. I highly recommend reading it. Um, James says, uh, religion that is pure and acceptable to God is to care for widows and orphans. Like, we're called to take care of folks, to take care of the folks around us. Um, you want to see the great things done in the early church. Um, in, in Rome, it was a very common thing for, Christ, or for pagans. Like, if you had a baby that was not perfect or was, like, the wrong gender, you'd leave it in the woods and let it die. Um, Christians were scandalous because they would go and find those children in the woods and take them home. Now, we don't leave children in the woods in our culture, right? We just leave them. You know, I, I was reading that 85% of people who are in prison today were raised with no father. Isn't that the tr- I mean, that's an awful thing, isn't it? Um, you want to know how to serve God if you're a man, if you're a husband, take care of your kids, right? Not just remain in your family, but, like, take care of them, be a part of their lives, um, love them, take care of them. This is a part of what God calls us to. I'm not just pulling this out of the air. I've been praying about this all week. This is what's on my heart right now, so y'all are getting that, okay? Um, but there are young men in our community that nobody watches out for them. Um, God calls us to reach out to those folks and love them. Young women that nobody's taking care of them. God calls us to reach out to those folks and love them. Um, to renew the broken things in our lives. Um, the cool thing about Jesus is he gives us mulligans, right? You get a do-over because I'm forgiven and I get to start over as a brand new person. You know, I don't get to restart my marriage back at day one. If I did, my wife might not say yes. (laughs) I got kids, so it was a safe bet today. (laughs) But I also have life insurance, so. (laughs) Um, But in reality, God lets us step back and fix the things that we've screwed up. And he calls us to do this. Um, to touch the broken places in our community, um, to come back into our families if we've been hiding out, to take the hardness out of our hearts and our voices if that's how we've been dealing with our husbands and our children, like to, to put that stuff away and to be like Jesus. I can't tell you to go out and fight the bad guys because the bad guys are us. It's the truth. You know, guys, This sounds like I may be repetitive. I think I say this kind of things a lot, but I'm going to tell you, God's calling on us, married, single, divorced, widowed, um, the whole nine yards. God's calling on us to imitate him and to love people that nobody loves and to take care of the folks nobody's taking care of and to show people who Jesus is because Jesus was that guy. Jesus was the guy who walked up to um, lepers. Lepers were men who had to walk on the other side of the street and yell unclean when they approached someone. 
They had to live in separate colonies outside of town. And Jesus talked to them and touched them and loved them. Jesus at a dinner one day was talking to a Pharisee, a religious official, and a prostitute came in and, like, washed his feet. And the guy's like, well, you, you're not much of a prophet. Don't you know what kind of woman this is? And he's like, she's forgiven. Like, and she loves much because she's forgiven much. Like, Jesus allowed himself to be amongst, amongst the worst. This is our calling. And the problem is that we are the worst. And we only stop being the worst when Jesus saves us. Folks, take your job seriously. Because as broken as the world is, the only way it's ever going to get better is if we walk in Jesus' footsteps. And we apply his teachings in our lives. And we love the folks that nobody else wants to love. That's it. This is the beginning. This is what we're called to do. Follow Jesus and be him in the world. Um, I'm going to put Michael on the spot because I love him. Um, Michael took a huge pay cut to work at the activity center, right? And he does it because he loves the guys there. Because God put this heart in him to love those guys, right? Um, I know folks who, who exemplify this all the time all around us. And my challenge for you today as I finish up, my challenge for you today is, what are the parts of your life that you need to hit the reset button on? What are the parts of your lives that you need to give to Jesus? What are the things that God has put in your heart that you know, this is somewhere I could serve him? And if you look in your heart and your soul and you say, man, there's a big dead spot, I got nothing. Fast pray and seek him out and figure out what he wants from you. Because it's your job. You are the plan. You say, well, why doesn't somebody fix all this? It's because you're not doing it. Honestly, because I'm not doing it enough. This is our calling. Let's close in prayer and I'll I'll let you all be. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with these folks. I pray that I I I handle things clumsy and I say things clumsy and I I I struggle with it the whole nine yards. I I I I pray that your spirit would be in everything that I said, that it wouldn't be misconstrued, but that folks would recognize our calling, our job in this world is to be your son, is to be Jesus to the folks here, to be redeemed by his blood, to repent of our brokenness and return to you, to hit the reset button and, and, and do the things that we were meant to do right, the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand up and close with a blessing. I started out asking... Who knows who Samuel is? Who knows who Othniel is, right? Or Samson. Samson. I'm going to do that forever. It's like calling Mark Mike in his wedding. Um, (laughs) um, Samson was a man who was strong, and he was tough, and he was kind of a cowboy, and he found all the prettiest women to date and be married to, and he fought anybody who made him mad, and he was like, like a hero in the wrong way possible. Um, Othniel was a man who was obedient to God and did what God called him to do and was a hero in God's way. Um, So receive this blessing this morning. As you go out of here, may you be people whose hearts are like, like Othniel, whose hearts are like Jesus, who go out and serve the world and the creation with the love of Christ, who imitate Christ in your marriage with your spouse, with your kids, with everybody you encounter. May you be those people.